the way that you blessed us, you have kind of blown us away in the way that uh, you provide for our needs and our wants. And, and Father, when we look at the rest of the world, we, rec- we recognize that we are truly rich, truly wealthy. And Father, we return a portion of what you blessed us with, and we ask that you would guide those who uh, see to the monies and, and that they would be distributed in the way that would be pleasing to you and would further your kingdom both around the corner and around the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We just want to dismiss any children, four years old through fourth grade, if you want to head out to uh, Children's Church, and then go ahead and... Love and marriage, love and marriage. Go into the chapel and we're... Gonna get married Get married to my pickup truck It never leaves me when I'm down on my luck There we go. So this morning we are continuing in a series that we started a few weeks back, and uh, it's the Ministry of Reconciliation, the Ministry of Reconciliation, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, it tells us that, I think that's going to be the first thing, here we go. It says, uh, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What is the ministry of reconciliation? Ministry of reconciliation is this idea that the world has a view as to the way things are to go down, right? But there is a biblical world view that as Christ followers, we are to put inside of us, and then we are to go about telling other people, hey, did you know God has a way to do things? And we've been talking about that. We said uh, the world might have a view of planet Earth and the way we're supposed to deal with that, but God has a view of planet Earth and the way that we are supposed to deal with that. We talked about that uh, three weeks ago. And then a couple of weeks ago, we said uh, the world has a view of the way Way that we can look at our body and the way we should treat our body and what our body is for, but God has a, a, a worldview as to what our body is, and our body is a temple, right? Uh, people can obsess over it or they can neglect it, but the reality is our body is a temple. And then um, uh, uh, here's the thing. Uh, this morning we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about family. So what we want to do is look at, at family through the, the lenses of biblical worldview, because here's what we know. The world has a lot of ideas about what a family is or what a family is not or what it can be or what it can, maybe it shouldn't be. And the world has a lot of ideas about family and defining family. And, and they, people can say, well, there's a lot of different kinds of families. And, and that's, you know, some of that's true. But uh, I'm not really interested in all of that stuff. I want to look at one thing this morning. What is the biblical view of of a family. What is the biblical view of a family? We're going to talk about uh, that this morning, but before we get started or go any further, I'm going to ask that you will pray with me as we uh, set about the endeavor of looking at the biblical view of a family. Let's pray. Father God, uh, we're here, a lot of stuff going on, and uh, we've been uh, kind of partway through the church service here. We've already sang some songs that uh, they hit home, and uh, they're meaningful. 
Uh, we listen to um, Wayne and give a, a meditation, I mean, just talking about how good uh, you are and what you have done for us. And uh, Father, now we're going to jump into a sermon, and we're going to listen to that too. And again this week, Father, uh, as we have come here together uh, as uh, your body, I ask that you would help us to, uh, uh, to learn from you. Teach us what you want us to know. Uh, help us to put that thing on our heart and move forward with it that you are going to give us this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name and amen. So write this down. You got your pens ready, pencils ready, you got your bulletin in hand. The priority, the priority of marriage, the priority of marriage is to be your spouse. The priority of your marriage. You say, well, you're talking about family, right? We're going to, we're going to get there. We're going to get to family, but right now we're talking about this. The priority of marriage is to be your spouse. Here's what happened. God created planet earth created the heavens, stars, everything. God created it. And it's stunning. It's beautiful. I had the opportunity on Friday night. I was uh, spending the night in a cabin uh, over in the middle of uh, Iowa and southern Iowa at uh, a three-mile lake. And there's a little cabin. We went outside. It was dark outside. And uh, the stars were just spectacular, incredible. Uh, the planet Earth is incredible. And uh, then in the morning, I woke up, and we were in this lodge, and we were looking out across Three Mile Lake, and it's fantastic. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. And and God created all of that stuff. God created all of that stuff. And he's kind of, you know, doing the old beard stroke there, you know, figuratively. And, and he says, okay, it's missing something. And so God, uh, then he creates man. He creates man, puts man on planet earth. And he kind of looks, he says, hmm, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. Uh, but then God says this in the book of Genesis. He says, it is not good for a man to be alone. Not good for a man to be alone. So then God creates woman. And he pulls a rib right out of the man and creates woman and take a, a bone out of her head that she would be above him or a bone out of his foot that she would be below him. But from his side, he takes and he creates woman. And, uh, and it says, not good for a woman to be alone. And then, then God puts this thing into play. He says, it's very good. And then he puts this into play from the book of Genesis, book of Genesis, chapter two. So it's right there. Chapter two of the entire book of Genesis, the very beginning, he says this. For this reason, a man will leave, will leave. For this reason, a man will leave. Say leave, leave. And what does leave mean? It means to loosen or to relinquish. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother, and then he will be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. They will leave mom and dad. Here's the thing. So when you're little, when you're little, uh, you're looking up at mom and dad. Mom and dad are the ones that are providing for you security. They are the ones that are taking care of you. Uh, they are the ones that are feeding you. They're the ones that you are dependent on. And uh, you know that mom and dad... Now, uh, the, the biblical model, the biblical model that God created at creation was that mom and dad are supposed to be a safe place for their children. Well, we know that sin came into the world, and we know that a lot of things can happen in the world. A lot of things can happen in the world. And some of us grew up with great mom and dad. Some of us grew up, no mom and dad in the house. Some of us grew up, and we wish mom and dad were not in the house because it was a really messy scene. But the biblical model that God put in place is that, in fact, a child should be able to look up at mom and dad 
dad, and it's a safe place. And when they're scared or they're lonely or whatever, they can go to mom and dad and they can feel the warm embrace of mom and dad and that there would be uh, this, this wonderful warm fuzzies there because they're li- being looked after uh, from mom and dad. And when you are a child, the most important relationship that you have in the whole world is mom and dad. But God has set it up and established it in a way that a man is to grow up and get out of the house. Not supposed to be, you know, 30 years old living in the basement playing video games, right? The stereotypical picture there, right? And so uh, you're supposed to grow up, you're supposed to get out of the house, and you're supposed to be able to take care of yourself and uh, manage your own affairs, and then after that, then you go out in pursuit of the spouse, right? You go find the spouse. And um, then after the spouse, uh, then uh, you find that spouse, then you get married to that person, then you uh, do the family. That's what the way that's supposed to happen. And so here's the thing. You transition from, my parents were the most important relationship in my life. You transition that as you grow and mature to now my spouse is the most important relationship that I have in my life. We are to make that transition. So, what does that mean? That means that we are supposed to we're supposed to provide security and loving comfort to our spouse. Security and loving comfort to our spouse. And so uh, you you all uh, took vows when you got married. Maybe you took those vows uh, to have and to hold, uh, to love and to cherish, right? And uh, you're going to look after one another. You're going to honor one another. You're going to respect one another. And uh, and that is to be the primary focus of your... And so the thing breaks down like this. God says there are two primary relationships you need to focus on as an adult. Number one is me, God says. God says, it's me. And so uh, you first have a relationship with Jesus, and then right after that, the next most important relationship that you have in your world is your spouse. Husbands, love your wives. And that's what is supposed to go down. Listen, it's not supposed to be money. It's not supposed to be your hobbies. It's not supposed to be uh, your job. It's not supposed to be any other thing. Uh, Even though the world says, the world says you are defined by those things. And sometimes we want to be defined by those things ourselves, right? Want to have a great job. Want everybody to know, yeah, look at my job, right? And that's what you're all thinking out there. You're looking at me going, wow. Yeah, glad I don't have his job. Public speaking, right? Nobody wants to do that gig, right? And so, and so you get the job, you go after the dream job, you know, whatever, and uh, you get a little bit of money, and then you get uh, great toys and things like that, and, and then people, they kind of look at you, and people want to identify themselves by their, uh, their position and, and how much money and toys and, and hobbies and all those kind of things. The world wants you to define yourself that way. Uh, the Bible says the way you define yourself is this. One, have a relationship with God. Two, Show everybody you have a fantastic relationship with your spouse. That's the biblical thing. It says this in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives. How much? Just as Christ loved the church. Well, what did he ever do for the church? He gave himself up for her. Jesus was willing to die for the church. Paul says, and he's right in Ephesus, men, be willing to die for your wives, make sure that they feel that, they understand that, and that they're secure in that. That's the way a biblical man is going to act in that relationship. But here's kind of the problem. Here's kind of what goes wrong. Is that um, you, you get married and, um, 
And uh, you know that they're supposed to be the, the, the number one priority, but along comes the, the dream job, and along comes, uh, you know, a little bit of money, and the toys, and the hobby, and, you know, uh, the bass boat's more fun than, than, than the bride, right? And the uh, uh, buying, you know, adding to the gun collection is more fun uh, than the bride. Hanging out with, the, uh, with your friends is more fun, uh, than, and, and that kind of drifts away, and that becomes a problem. So here's a fact. If you want to give security to your children, prioritize your spouse. If you want to give security to your children, prioritize your spouse. The priority of marriage is to be your spouse. The priority of marriage is to be your spouse. Then, write this down. Practice the priority. Practice the priority. What's it mean to practice the priority? Uh, a guy named Gary Smalley, Dr. Gary Smalley, he's a marriage family counselor. And uh, I heard this a long, long time ago and I've tried to implement it into our marriage over the years. And I uh, heard it long enough ago that we were even young when we kind of started uh, this thing. But that's what he says. He says, um, he, he challenges men. He says, men, and says, first of all, he says, uh, men are brain dead. And, uh, you know, no, no, no amens out there by the women. Okay, so, so watch this. But here's the way that works. And, and so maybe, maybe you've heard this before. Maybe I've even said this before. I don't know. But, uh, but here's, the, here's the thing. That every single, every single human being that has been conceived has been conceived female. Been conceived female. And then uh, after uh, a few uh, days of gestation there, uh, as you begin to develop, if you are actually going to be a man, uh, before that X chromosome gets kicked in there, uh, what takes place is when that takes place, um, that there is a uh, testosterone washes through the body of the little uh, fetus that's in there. And then that is what sort of starts the process of now it's not going to be female, it's going to be a man. And literally when that testosterone washes across the brain, literally, there is connecting fiber between the, uh, the right side of the brain and the left side of the brain. And, uh, uh, and so when the testosterone washes through the brain, it damages some of the connecting fiber uh, between the right side and the left side of the brain. And so um, uh, women, women have more connecting fiber between the le- right side and left side of the brain. Men have less connecting fiber between the right side and left. Men te- uh, tend to be left brain dominant, uh, sort of logical, sequential. And women, though they have that more connecting fiber, they tend to be more right brain dominant. And so they're more emotional and intuitive and those kind of things. And, you know, we joke about men and women are different in those ways. And, and there's reasons for that. That's the way God set it up and designed it. Uh, but here's the thing. Gary Small says, so here's, here's a good way uh, to help your marriage. Here's a good way to help your marriage. Okay? And, uh, and this is serious and in a, in, a, in a delicate, loving, gentle uh, situation. And uh, sometimes uh, marriages can be so uh, hostile towards one another, it's hard to even find that. But then you have to go and you have to say, okay, I, I, I want to go down this path with you. And, uh, and so I want to, you know, we're going to go someplace where the kids aren't around. We're going to have this conversation. And uh, the man should ask uh, the wife this question. Um, uh, honey, in all seriousness and in love, um, on a scale of one to ten, uh, one being, you know, horrible Worst case scenario, a 10 being the dream. Just the best couldn't get any better. On a scale of 1 to 10, what score would you give our marriage right now? You know? No, no, oops, oops, no, I I did that wrong. Okay. (laughs) So if you're taking notes, you know, the eraser notes. First question, the first question is this. 
on a scale of 1 to 10, first question is this, on a scale of 1 to 10, honey, what would you like our marriage to be? On a scale of 1 to 10, what would you like our marriage to be? Now, you know, it might not be where you would like it to be right now, but on a scale of 1 to 10, what, where, where would you like our marriage to be? And, you know, and maybe she'll say something, you know, silly like, well, I know it can't be a 10, you know, and, uh, because I'm in the marriage. <laughs> no, <laughs> you see, or, or, or flip that around. But, you know, if she's being serious about this, say, well, you know, probably no such thing as a marriage that's 10. You know, but I'd like, sure, love it to be a 9. You know, I'd like for it to be a 9. What would you like it to be, you know? And so they're going to put a number up there. And then the next question, the next question is, is this. Uh, honey, on a, on a scale of 1 to 10, on a, you'd like it to be a 9, in all seriousness, on a scale of 1 to 10, what is our marriage right now? And then Smalley says this, men, he says, brace yourself. He says, men, because here's what's going to happen every time. Your wife is going to give you a score that is two points lower than what you think it is. And he says, don't be alarmed by that. Know going into it that she is going to give you a score that's two points lower than what you think it is actually, that actually is. So, don't, so just be ready to that. And there's all kinds of reasons for that. Uh, you've heard that you know, men, are the way they think is it's kind of like boxes on a shelf, right? And they've got to put this box away before they can open that box up. But women are more, their brains are more like spaghetti noodles. It all kind of rubs together, okay? And so uh, everything, everything that you encounter kind of uh, goes into that mix of how is the relationship doing? Well, everything is involved in that. And so and then the last question is, first question is, uh, on a scale of 10, what would you like our marriage to be? On a scale of 1 to 10, uh, what is it now? Third question is this. Um, honey, could you tell me one thing, maybe two things, at the absolute most, three things that I could do to help us move our marriage up towards where you would like it to be. Here's the thing. Ladies, you have to write down factual things, tasks. You cannot write down emotional things. We don't get it. Huh? Love you. Love you more. That's why I go to work every day, right? Okay. So it needs to, you have to think about that and you have to process that and you have to literally, you know, you have to write down the thing that he can do to make the marriage, move up the scale. Then the man simply has to say, uh, give me that, and then here's what I commit to you. I will work on doing those things because I too would like to move our relationship closer to being your dream marriage. Isn't that good? That's good stuff, right? That's good stuff. And so, but here's a, okay, so how many of you have seen me do this before? Everybody put your hands out in front of you. I, I, this, it just works. Put your hands out in front of you. Everybody, everybody's sitting there going, huh? yeah. hands out in front of you. There we go. And, and then clap them together like this. Clap them together. Clap them together like that. Okay, hold. And then uh, how many of you have uh, the left thumb is on top and how many of you have the right thumb is on top? We, we've done this before, right? And then uh, pull your hands back apart and now clap them together and put the other thumb on top. And clap them together, put the other thumb on top, right? And now we say, that feels weird. That's, that's awkward. That's, you know, that's hard. That's difficult. Well, if this is hard, uh, life is hard. Because this is the easiest thing you can do, but it's called 
change, and change is hard. Change is hard and it's difficult, but if you want to have a better marriage, you're going to have to make some changes, and change is always hard. You don't think it's hard? I'm there in your bulletin. There in your bulletin, you can see there's the outline that you guys have all, uh, you're filling in, you're doing your due diligence there, and you're taking pictures of that, and you're memorizing that, and you're putting that up on the refrigerator, and you're revisiting that every week, and you're going back, and as a family, you're reviewing that, and you're inviting the neighbors over, and you're saying, you should see what we're learning at church, right? I know you're doing all that stuff with that outline, but there at the bottom of that outline, there's a big space in there. If you got your pencil with you, uh, go ahead and sign your name in that space. Sign it, uh, just however, sign your name in there, sign your name in there, right? And then, and then put the pencil in your other hand, and now write your name right below your signature, right? You're going, where did that thing come from? How's that even work? You know, I can't even, right? Do, do the alphabet. And it's your, it's your brain, it's all you, but when we try to do things and make change, it's hard, and we just got to go into it knowing marriage sometimes is just work, work. It's trying to write your name with the other hand. It's trying to get comfortable with what's not comfortable. But here's the thing. The priority of marriage is the spouse. So practice the priority. Then do this. Write this down. Protect. Protect the priority. Protect the priority. We have an enemy. We have an enemy always working against us. A lot of times the biggest enemy that's working against us is the person that's in the mirror. Right? And uh, we uh, kind of do self-destructive things. But what we need to understand is not only do we do self-destructive things, we've got an enemy that's always pushing on us and trying to get us to do bad things. And so John 10.10, book of John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Uh, The devil is a liar. Uh, The devil is a thief. Uh, the, the devil wants us to, to redefine what a marriage looks like. He wants us to dilute what a good marriage is. And, uh, and so we can get distracted. And, and so what we have to do is push against that. There, and we have to prioritize. We have to prioritize. We have to, excuse me, we have to protect the priority. We've got to protect the priority. And we've got to protect it. How do we protect it? Um, Dr. Gary Rosberg is a marriage and family guy, and, and he, he writes this book, and, and um, he's talking about how uh, men uh, would do well to do this, and, and ladies can do this too, is that we are all kind of a people, and we've got this big silver sword. We've got this silver sword, and we carry this thing in this sheath, and we walk around with it. He says, but we also have this gold sword, and we got this gold sword, and it's kind of dangling down here in this, in this, in this sheath. He says, uh, what happens is we go to work, we go to work, and we like to pull out uh, that silver sword, and we like to yield that thing, we like to wave it around, we like to uh, conquer and have victory, and we want to meet the sales goals, and we want to, uh, you know, make sure that we're uh, meeting all of the deadlines, and we want everybody to know that we're, we're in charge, and we have victory when we're at work, and, and we yield that silver sword, and, and he says, the problem is we like to go home, and we like to um, go to our spouse, and we want to say, oh, you should have seen what I did at work today, you, you know, I was able to do this and I got to talk to so-and-so and I was able to accomplish this goal and your spouse is looking at you going, I don't care. You know, don't you realize the kids are over there and they're climbing up the drapes and there's, you know, the food in the refrigerator's got mold on it, you know, and there's all these other kind of things. And so what we're supposed to do, what Gary Rosberg says that we do well to do, go to work, go crazy at work, meet all your objectives at work, but when you're on your way home from work, you put away the silver sword. So that when you walk through the door of your home, you pull out the gold sword. 
And you say, I am here and I will defend and I will protect. And nothing will come against my family. And I will help and I will do whatever I need to do because my family is going to be strong. And you think I had victory at work? No, you just watch the way I have victory with my family. And that's a beautiful image of what it is to protect the priority of the relationship that you have in your home. We've got to protect the priority. We have to protect the priority. Here's the thing. Statistics tell us that 50% of marriages end in divorce. Malachi chapter 2 verse 16 says that God hates divorce. God is a forgiving God. He understands. There's all kinds of evidence throughout Old Testament scripture. People made all kinds of, every boneheaded mistake that you ever made. There's people in the Old Testament that made twice as many and, and, and God loves them. And you work through all of those things. But here's the thing. Write this down. Are you ready? So the priority of marriage is the spouse, and we need to practice the priority, we need to protect the priority, but here's the thing. The purpose, not the priority, but the purpose, the purpose, the purpose of a marriage is a family. The purpose of a marriage is a family. This morning we're talking about what it is to have a biblical worldview. The world can define family any way that they want to, but the Bible gives a definition to what a family is and what that looks like. And so that's what we want to do is enter into the ministry of reconciliation and bringing people into an understanding of what God, uh, his plan is and his uh, desires. We talked a lot about that last week, if you were here and and we had the the kids in here and maybe you remember we had uh, some sports teams that were up here and said, what are some of the rules? What are some of the rules? Right. And we, and we showed another thing we we said, what are the boundaries? What are the boundaries? Played a video game up here. And, and uh, what are the boundaries? What are the boundaries? Said, uh, mom and dad, you're job is to uh, teach the rules and to teach the boundaries. And we, we had the little game inside the, uh, the, the bulletin there and, and the little search thing. And, and we said, we're going to stay out of dead ends, stay out of dead ends. And we talked about that uh, last week. And so uh, here's the thing. The family is where we teach the ministry of reconciliation to our kids. The family is where we teach the ministry of reconciliation to our kids. Um, here's the thing. We cannot expect when you send, listen, my kids, they went, all of them went uh, public schools, K-12 public schools. But here's what we need to understand. As Christians, we cannot expect the public schools to teach our children biblical values. They don't do it. That's not their job. It was never their job. They were never hired to do that. In fact, there's more and more pushback, and it seems like they get farther and farther away from that. Well, what do you expect? They never had God in there in the begin with, right? And that's all gone. And so we cannot look to the schools. We cannot expect the schools to teach any biblical values. That's not their job. It's the parent's job. It's the parent's job. Listen to this. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. God is not a schizophrenic. Um, Buddha and God are not the same thing. Um, Muhammad and God are not the same thing. Allah and God are not the same thing. There's one God, one creator God. The rest of them are false gods. They're not even the thing. One God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord God, the Lord is one. And then he says this. We are two. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart 
and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Put these things on your hearts. And he says this in verse 7. Impress them on your children. Teach your children. Tell your children. There is a right way and a wrong way. There is a biblical way and there is an unbiblical way. And we want to do things the way God wants us to. Impress them on your children. Okay, so talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on uh, your gates and write them on little sticky notes and stick them to the refrigerator and put it on the, uh, the mirror and, and the, above the vanity and, and, and put those on the dash of your car and make sure your kids, uh, my kids when they were little, I would I'd give them Bible verses to memorize and then when they had the Bible verse uh, memorized, they could come to me and then I would uh, give them something that they wanted to, to get and I, and I just tried to teach them, teach them, teach, teach them, teach them. God's, this is God's f- plan for a family. This is God's plan for a family uh, that mom and dad, they leave, uh, that you leave mom and dad and you establish yourself as a person. You go and you find that, uh, that person that's going to be your spouse, that husbands find the wives and the wives find the husband and you get married and then you start a family and then you teach your kids. You teach your kids. That's God's plan for the next generation to know the gospel of Jesus Christ is that parents teach the kids. You grow up. You leave your parents, you get married, you start a family, and you teach the next generation. Here's a problem. If you were born before 1950, there is a 66% chance that you grew up believing that God created everything. If you grew up 1980 or after, and you're a millennial, um, then you, there is only a 4% chance that you believe that God created everything. Today, 75% of kids that grow up in the church go to college and never return to the church. Too often, parents are outsourcing the biblical education that their children need to have. And God says... Mom and dad, teach these things. Put these things on the hearts of your kids. Listen, this is a family problem. It's a parent problem. And so we need to lead our families. In conclusion, everybody's getting a little squirmy right now, right? Getting a little squirmy. In conclusion, in conclusion, write this down. I am responsible. Write this down. I am responsible. We must say, I am responsible. I am responsible. In the book of Genesis, uh, God creates Adam and Eve, puts them in the Garden of Eden, and they're hanging out in the Garden of Eden. And after time, we don't know how much time, but uh, Satan tempts Eve into eating the forbidden fruit. And then uh, she hands it off to Adam, and Adam eats of the forbidden fruit. And then they're walking around, and they know that they've sinned, and God shows up. And so what uh, Eve, she blames the, the serpent, right? And well, who, does, who, did, who did Adam blame for his sin? He just ate of the forbidden fruit of his own free will. Who did he blame? He blamed God. He blamed God. He said, this woman you gave me, 
this woman you gave me, right? He says, if you wouldn't have done what you did, then I wouldn't have. And so he was deflecting. He's pushing it away. He's and everybody. It's everybody's fault by my fault. It's everybody's. And that's the culture we live in. We tend to, we want to do that. We don't like to be in trouble. We like to say, well, it's, you know, we compare ourselves to other people. At least I'm not as bad as they are. But we have to say, I am responsible. We read the Bible. The Bible says, do this. We say, nah, I am responsible. I, we have to say that. I am responsible. Write this down. This one's going to hurt. For the biblical education of my kids. I am responsible for the biblical education of my kids. Parents, please do not relinquish the spiritual growth and maturity of your children to your children. Don't relinquish the spiritual responsibility of raising your children to know Jesus to your kids. Question, what's better? What's better to say to your kids? God is awesome. And he is the creator of everything. He created the birds that fly and the animals that run. God is awesome. He created mom. He created dad. He created uh, the stars at the sky. And he is awesome. And there is something that he wants you to know. He loves you. He cares about you. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. The God of the universe wants to be a friend to you. He wants you to know him and he wants uh, you to know uh, him and he's a good God and that is exactly why we go to church and that's exactly why we want you to be in church every single Sunday because we want you to know God that loves you. What's better to say? That or sweetie do you want to go to church today we don't have to if you don't want to you let me know it's a family problem it's a parent problem lead your family I must say I am responsible for the biblical education of my kids and for the health of my marriage. For the health of my marriage. You, you remember. You remember it. For some of you, uh, all of your memories are in black and white. But <laughs> uh, for others, uh, you, you remember it. You remember it. You remember, you remember uh, that first time that you saw your spouse. Yeah. And so Karen was walking down the sidewalk in front of the dorms of Pacific Christian College. She was wearing stone washed jeans and this pink cable knit sweater and I you know. And I and and you remember the first time. You remember the first time you saw uh, your spouse and you think about that. You remember, yeah, 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 you know? 
And uh, you remember, you, you know, you kind of tiptoe up and you're wondering, are they going to ask me out? Or, you know, they, you know and you, you kind of you move into that and, and you ask them out and, and then, you know, you're not sure how it's going to go. And then they say yes. It's like, oh, 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 yeah, 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 you know. Oh, they asked me out. You know, so, and, then, and then you remember, you remember, you think about it, you remember that first time that you weren't sure if you get to touch their hand or you don't get to touch their hand. You remember the first time you touch, just touch their hand. It's like, oh, 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 right? And that, that first time you kiss, oh, man, that first time that you, you kiss, it's like, wow, wow, it's electric. And then, you know, they say, well, I'm, I'm going to ask her, I'm going to ask her, will she marry me, will she marry me, you know, will he, will he ask me, will he ask me, you know, you want to know. And, and then they do, and it's so, it's like, yeah, you know, and then it's so exciting, and you get married, and it's like, it's everything, it's everything, it's my spouse, it's, you know, for, forever after, happily ever after, happily ever after, and and you get married. But then you get the dream job. Yeah. Man, I've wanted to do this for, for the longest time. And, and so you go and you just kind of pour yourself in, into your dream job. Pour into that. You get a little bit of money, you know, and you get, you get to have some toys now, you know. And, uh, but then the kids, the kids come. And, and so, you know, mom's pouring herself into them because naturally, they just naturally, they have that maternal instinct. It's a real thing that God put in there. And they kind of lean into the life of the kids. And, and dad kind of leans into the life of the job. And sometimes the, uh, the mom's got the job and she's going down that thing too. And, and, and God says, uh, the priority, priority number one is me. Priority number two is spouse. But you kind of look back after a few years later and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, number, number three, four, and five are, uh, you know, my my gun collection, my car collection, and, and you know my job and my bank account and all those. And then you know priority number six is my spouse. Family. I am responsible for the biblical education of my kids and for the health of my marriage. Good marriages and good kids are not an accident. They are not an accident. So the biblical view of a family is that the husband prioritizes the wife, the wife prioritizes the husband, and that they work together to raise their kids to know Jesus so that one day they move out of the house and they're responsible and proactive in finding a spouse that they can pour their heart into to teach their kids so that the name of Jesus is always at the front, is always lifted up. What a different world this would be if everyone lived the way that God wanted them to live. We're the fortunate ones. We know. We know. We just have to do the confusing work of getting it done and then share it with as many people as we can. Is Jesus a part of your life, your marriage? Because that's where it starts. You have to have Jesus in you. Life is a journey. I don't know where you are on your journey. But if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, 
Start there. If you don't know what it is to be baptized into Christ, I'd like to talk with you about what that means. If you do know, and you are a believer, get to work. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of family. Thank you for welcoming us sinners into your family. Help us to live for you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.